The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Kate Dunn during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Reverend Dunn. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 33 and 44 to 50. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for you the people of God. Thanks be to God. Shortly after World War II, Paul Coleman Norton, a classic scholar at Princeton University, wrote an article for the Catholic Biblical Quarterly about a discovery he had made when stationed in Northern Africa during the war. During a lull in the fighting, Norton visited a mosque and examined an ancient book written in Arabic. In this book, he discovered a small parchment with Greek writing, which turned out to be a continuation of the scripture I just read, one that had not been included in Matthew's gospel as we know it. In this version, after Jesus spoke about the angels separating the righteous from the evil and throwing the evil into a furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, the disciples respond in consternation. But master, what of those who have no teeth? And Jesus responds, teeth will be provided. It turns out that scholars sometimes entertain themselves by trying to see if they can get away with a hoax here and there. And Colvin Norton almost did get away with the fact that he had made up this whole story. But one of his students who went on to become a New Testament scholar remembered hearing his professor make this joke years before he was ever stationed in Africa during the war and called him on it. And so we can say with some certainty that Jesus never did say, teeth will be provided. People are adept at mental gymnastics. We're able to understand that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened, that he's using metaphorical language. We understand that the kingdom of heaven is not literal yeast mixed in flour, the same way that the kingdom of heaven is not literal treasure hidden in a field, or a literal pearl of great value, or a literal net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. But somehow, over the centuries, the evocative image of weeping and gnashing of teeth morphed into shorthand for agonizing suffering that some people will endure in the afterlife. 
The figurative metaphor of a furnace of fire continues to be interpreted by many people today as a literal experience of eternal torture in a fiery hell for anyone who has not been saved. These symbolic descriptions interpreted literally have become a blunt tool used to terrify people into salvation. But the fact that Jesus speaks to us in parables and metaphors and stories should raise our suspicions of any interpretations of scripture that are too rigid or concrete to allow for nuance or wonder about how these spiritual truths, these glimpses into the realm of heaven, might change the way we live our lives now. Emily Dickinson writes about the kind of pedagogy that Jesus uses this way. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. So, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Jesus provides a multitude of examples. The kingdom of heaven is like something small but powerful, able to transform the substance of things as yeast transforms flour. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the earth that we might stumble upon and come to recognize the tremendous value of something we had overlooked before. The kingdom of heaven is like a small object of perfect beauty that inspires us to give away our material possessions. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that can plumb great depths in murky water and gather up such an abundance of fish that we are motivated to sit down and sort through everything, deciding the good we want to keep and the bad that we want to throw away. These parables don't so much describe the kingdom of heaven as invite us to participate in it by recognizing that it's already here in our midst. We cannot comprehend the kingdom of heaven with our intellect. We have to experience it with our heart. The kingdom of heaven inspires transformation and action, a recognition that small actions may lead to mighty consequences. The kingdom of heaven opens our eyes to a new way of seeing the world around us. The kingdom of heaven surprises us with our sudden willingness to sacrifice our own comfort and security for the sake of something of immeasurable value. The kingdom of heaven prompts us to embark on a discernment process, asking what are the righteous things we want to hold on to and what are the evil things we want to throw away. Jesus tells us that at the end of the age, the angels will undertake this process on a cosmic level. That's their job. Our job involves the here and now. When we get glimpses of the kingdom of heaven already breaking into this earthly realm, God calls us to respond. In Luis Alberto Urea's novel, The House of Broken Angels, Big Angel, the patriarch of a large Mexican-American family living in San Diego, has gathered his relatives from far and wide for his 70th birthday party, which will be his last because he's dying of cancer. Among those who come is Big Angel's half-brother, many years his junior, the 
offspring of his father's second marriage, who is named Little Angel. For Little Angel, Big Angel has been a father figure of sorts for whom he has complicated feelings. Big Angel gave him the books that inspired his love of literature, which led him to become an English professor. Big Angel also participated in tormenting him when he was little. As on one day when Big Angel and their father insisted on teaching the terrified boy to swim by throwing him into the waves over and over and over. Everyone is expected to show up and spend some quality time with a bed-bound patriarch, and so Little Angel finds himself crawling into Big Angel's bed for a heart-to-heart, -heart, a time of laughing over stories and sharing memories. At one point in their conversation, Big Angel asks, Tell me, did I do anything good in your life? You gave me the books, Little Angel says. I still have them. Ah, bueno, but what was the best thing I ever did, aside from giving you books? Little Angel says, You called me one morning and told me to get ready because you were coming for me and to tell my mom I'd be gone all day. You wouldn't tell me why, but you told me to bring a coat. So you showed up, and we drove east to the mountains. It had snowed up there. Living in San Diego, we never saw snow. So you said, we are going to make a snowball. And that's what we did. Then we got back in the car and drove home. Big Angel says, good. Now tell me the worst thing I ever did. Little Angel protests, but Big Angel insists, tell me, brother, was it the beach? No, Little Angel says. It was the year Dad died. We had nothing. I know, I know, it didn't match your suffering, blah, blah, blah. And we had nothing, no car, no money, no food. And it was Christmas. And Mom didn't know how we'd afford presents or a Christmas dinner. And you called, you said, don't worry about a thing. I am your big brother. You said, we will come for you Christmas morning. Don't worry. And mom cried. She was so relieved. Big Angel says, I'm sorry. No, wait, little angel says, you wanted it. So here it comes. You never showed up. You never came. I am so sorry, Big Angel says. I finally called. You know what you said? You said it was too much trouble to come get us. Big Angel stares at the wall and says, Thank you for telling me. I am a bad man. And the little angel says, I forgive you. And Big Angel sobs. We can't do anything to change the past. All we can do is learn from it, try to hold on to the good, repent of the bad, and change our ways. We can't do anything about the future. That's in God's hands, and God's angels will take care of all the sorting that needs to happen in God's good time. We can do something about the present. We can make choices about today. We can engage in our own sorting process, reflect on our lives within our community. We can do this as individuals. Knowing that we are children of God, made in God's image, we can trust that we have done some good in our lives, sometimes intentionally, 
sometimes without even realizing it. And knowing that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, we can be sure that we have caused harm, some of which we might be aware of and some that we have been oblivious to. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like a birthday party that a dying man throws for himself, inviting everyone in his family to come so he can ask them what was the best thing he ever did for them and what was the worst. And he can have an opportunity to rejoice in the good, repent of the bad, and be forgiven and move forward. We can go through a sorting process as a church and a denomination, similar to what many institutions are undertaking today in our country, by taking an honest look at our history and asking, where have we been righteous and where have we erred? At Fifth Avenue, our session voted last January to become a Matthew 25 congregation and commit ourselves to the work of increasing congregational vitality, dismantling structural racism, and alleviating systemic poverty. We'll be living into this calling in the months and years ahead. And there's no question that this work can feel overwhelming. Where do we even start? Well, one fish at a time, right? The Presbyterian Mission Agency suggests that one place to start is with the 21-day Racial Justice Challenge, which can be undertaken by both individuals and groups. The challenge involves achievable acts like working through the PCUSA's Facing Racism Study Guide, reading the Confession of Belhar, and watching a PBS documentary on Native American boarding schools. What does the Kingdom of God look like? It looks like a people of faith who are not going to turn away from asking hard questions and seeking transformation. People willing to do the work of discernment and action that God calls us to do in such a time as this. Again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. Friends, let's not be afraid to drag our nets to shore and look at everything so that we can choose to hold on to what is good and throw out what is bad and experience the wonder and beauty and transformative power of the kingdom of heaven already manifesting itself right here on earth. Let us affirm our faith together using these words from a brief statement of faith. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, Come, Lord Jesus. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, life is short, and we do not have much time to gladden the hearts of those who make this earthly pilgrimage with us. So be swift to love and make haste to do kindness and the blessings of God Almighty, the Father who creates 
the Son who redeems, the Holy Spirit who stirs the heart and soul, be upon you this day and remain with you always. Amen.